kindness is also a core value for truth seeking. A lot of companies have truth seeking like values, but then they build this aggressive alpha male style cultures, which for a lot of people makes it scary to voice their concern or challenge authority. And it will always be scary to challenge authority, but that's why the kindness is so important in order to establish that psychological safety needed to make searching for the truth possible. Welcome to the Supermanagers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams collaborate on meeting agendas, track action items, and turn chaotic meetings into productive work sessions. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden, and I'm the CEO of fellow.app. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Frederick Thomason. He's the CEO and founder at Superside. It's a fully distributed and remote operations platform. They're kind of leading the way in terms of the new category of creative as a service. They have more than 700 employees, and that's a lot of employees considering that they only started in the year 2015. So really built a very successful company. And today we talk a lot about company building and specifically how to organize people, how to organize their values, and how to really make a company work really well at that kind of scale. So we talk a lot about the values that Frederick has within his companies. The ones that we touch on include speed is safety and kindness and truth-seeking as core values, and very specifically about why kindness and truth-seeking go hand-in-hand. We also talk about some of the favorite topics for some of the CEO friends that I have is how do they run their staff meetings? Everybody does it differently. We talk about what Frederick does. We also talk about how he runs his one-on-one meetings and a whole lot more. All in all, very wide-ranging conversation. Super excited to have had Frederick on. And before we dive in, just a quick reminder, if you haven't given us a review yet, giving us a five-star review would really make everybody on the team super happy. Lots of people work hard to bring the Super Managers podcast to you, and these reviews go a long way to show us your appreciation. So if you haven't done that yet, it takes two seconds. Really appreciate it. And of course, Super Managers Slack Workspace would love to have you join If you're interested in hanging out with other listeners of the show and getting management advice from each other, make sure to do that. Super easy to do. Just send us an email to supermanagers at fellow.app. And with that said, and without further ado, here's Frederick Thomason on this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. Frederick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, super excited to do this. Today, you are the CEO and founder at Superside which is a fully distributed remote operations platform. I'd love for you to just start by talking to us about what is Superside? Because it's a pretty unique company and you're kind of like disrupting the space that you're in. And as we get into it, because you've had a lot of success, you started a company in 2015, 
700 plus people. So lots of growth in a very short amount of time. And we're going to get to like all the structures and rituals and values that allowed you to get that kind of growth and sort of manage the chaos. But I think it would be really helpful just to start from the beginning and say like, what is SuperSide in your words? And what are you trying to do as a company? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we help our customers uh, with design and creative. Our customers are primarily large American technology companies and startups we work with. Amazon, Meta, uh, Google, Salesforce, and and a lot of kind of future industry leaders. And we are different from a traditional agency because we're faster and I think also more customer friendly than many of the sort of big five advertising out there that are sort of dominating the market today. And so what we're trying to do is build a more customer-friendly challenger to those established agency groups by building a sort of tech-enabled, we call it creative as a service, with 40 or 50 other companies out there that are also doing a great job reinventing the agency model. That's awesome. That's a pretty ambitious thing to do to go in and uh, look to reinvent the agency model. And creative as a service is definitely a category that, that's being established. And it's really cool to see the work that you guys are doing there. So if we were to dial back, though, to the very early days of when you started to manage or lead a team, I don't know if you remember a story at Superside or maybe like earlier on in your life. What were some of those early mistakes, if you remember, that you used to make? Yeah, I remember trying to go into leadership firstly through politics in my teenage years for the Norwegian Labour Party. And, you know, we were all just kids. And I think we made just a ton of mistakes. Back then, I think the biggest mistake that I think a lot of people are still doing is just ending up talking way too much and not actually getting anything done. And and this, I think, is particularly pervasive in politics, right? Where you sit around and talk a lot and, and you write articles and resolutions and, and it doesn't really move the needle. And me as a leader have uh, just gradually become more and more convinced about the importance of always optimizing for speed. And for us, that's you know a core value. And I think... The most important thing that I'm doing as a leader in SuperSide is try to increase the speed and try to ensure that every meeting, every interaction drives towards uh, action. And so that, I guess, is was a very good, very good learning in that regard. Let's talk about that. So do you have a value that is about speed at SuperSide? What is the value called? The value at SuperSide is called uh, speed is safety and it's a... Uh, Tagline taken from, I guess, from mountain climbing, where a lot of beginner mountain climbers, when they go to a big mountain and try to climb that mountain, they climb very slowly. I'm not an expert mountain climber by any means, but I understand that if you spend like hours checking all your ropes and everything, then it's going to take you a very long time to get to the top of the mountain. And, you know, the weathers can change. Suddenly there's like a big wind coming, uh, you know, it can start to rain. And very predictably, it will get dark. For sure, it will get dark. And so this tagline of, of speed is safety has emerged that it is actually just empirically safer to move very quickly up the mountain because most climbing accidents happen because people just get stuck in the mountain somehow. And, 
and also companies too just get stuck you know you you think too much about risk you have too many like compliance legal things you know you're not just not moving fast enough and not worrying about the biggest risk which is not kind of out competing your competition i love this the story about the mountain climbers, I think that resonates. We also say this in sales a lot, which is time kills all deals. I think in general, too much time on any particular project can be detrimental. But I don't know if you have a story or an example of something that happened and it was going slow and you changed it or something that really allowed everybody at the company to viscerally feel and understand this value. We kind of instituted this value around COVID when everything changed, right? For everyone in every business. For us, we had 40% of our customers churned overnight. And we were like, okay, what's, what's going to happen to our company? We decided that we had to make speed kind of core value and, and just move very quickly because in a dynamic world that is rapidly changing you need to do that and and spin up new services go find new customers and just move four times as quickly as you have done before and and for us that was kind of the breakthrough moment partly because covid obviously created legitimacy for us as a remote company before that a lot of people had been ah what are you guys doing remote that's really strange like are you just all sitting at home and then suddenly everyone was just sitting at home and people started asking us how do you do it do you have any advice for running a remote company etc and so that completely changed but i think more importantly it was just a very blatant reminder that we had to move very quickly or business would go under and, and we thought we would get completely annihilated you know we were just super worried about the business and so yeah really good learning yeah and 40 percent overnight yeah i can imagine how that would have been super difficult and so this is a great story like really a great way for everybody to you know at the company to remember why this is important where it came from from a very practical basis and you know tactically speaking how are ways that people are applying this value in their day-to-day -day or when you walk into a meeting, is there anything that you say or do to really like focus people on the speed issue or when you're reviewing a project or like, are there any sort of norms that reinforce speed of safety throughout the work? Yeah, a lot. It's part of how we recruit. It's part of how we evaluate people in our semi-annual reviews. And uh, it's part of um, everyday language. I mean, for me personally, I just really hate ending a meeting with another meeting if you know what i mean like there's just a lot of these meetings that you discuss and then you just agree to do like we need to do another meeting and that really frustrates me and so i just try to push for decisions as, as quickly as possible for most things even though it might not always be the right decision and and i think i'm also quite impatient and quite demanding and I think that's part of the job as a founder or as any kind of CEO. It's frustrating. It takes up a lot of energy demanding and not everyone likes it in the short run, but people tend to like it in the long run because you get proud of what you have achieved. And so if you constantly push your colleagues to 
can we do it faster? Can we try to have it done on Tuesday instead of Wednesday and, and so on and so forth? It will kind of compound over time to getting a lot more, more done and, and will make people proud. So I think we've done a good job with that. The challenge for us now is as we've grown very quickly on to become kind of 700 people, it's been a year or a year and a half just trying to build processes and and establish the necessary infrastructure to, for the next phase of growth. And, and it's very hard to balance kind of these two periods of like hyper growth, which we did for two, three years, and then I guess cleaning up after hyper growth and then trying to get to new phase of hyper growth. Like momentum is an important force. So one of the things that you said is that you are demanding as a leader and in the short term, not everybody might like that, but in the long term, they'll look to see all the things that you achieve together as a team and then be proud of that. And so this makes a lot of sense to me, but did you always start as being as demanding as you are? Or is this something that you know was a learned behavior over the course of time when you think about your own leadership journey from beginning to here? I was definitely more demanding than many others starting out. But I think it's very tempting to try to be just a normal guy or, or to try to have everyone like. It's very human. It's very natural. But it probably will not lead to the best outcomes. And so over time, there's no way around teaching yourself to be more demanding. I empirically as well haven't seen any CEO of a large company that is not demanding. I just don't see how it could possibly work. But first and foremost, I mean, I think I'm demanding of myself. And that, I guess, is a value that you learn a lot in Norwegian society in the military, where I spent uh, a year to not expect from others what you want to do yourself. And, and we have another value in Superside, which is called roll up your sleeves, which I think is to try to show this demandingness by example and, and rolling up your own sleeves. And I think I've done that over the last eight years. And and we have a, a very loyal management team that do it as well. And so that I think is the core of our culture. You know, stuff like that is always very refreshing to see the leadership and your executive team and everybody not being afraid to roll up your sleeves, like you said. And I know the values are in general very important to you and you use it all throughout your company. I know you have some values around kindness and truth seeking. So I'd love for you to explain like what those are and why you have them. Have they been there since the beginning and how you think about it? It's always really strange to me when companies don't have kindness as their number one value. It's really strange to me that almost no company has it as their core value. It's it's very rare. But why shouldn't you be surrounded by colleagues that you like and treats you well? And and why not try to build a culture where uh, there are no assholes or where there are no people that aren't treating each other with respect? And, and I think that's very important. And it's not uh, that we're all just so kind all the time. Like I'm not necessarily that kind all the time, but it's my aspiration. And I'm always just trying to be kinder and, and be the kindest possible version of myself. And and I think we've done a very good job about that. I think our customers feel it. And I think um, we all feel it in the company day to day. Kindness is also a core value for truth seeking. A lot of companies 
have truth-seeking like values, but then they build this aggressive alpha male style cultures, which for a lot of people makes it scary to voice their concern or challenge authority. And it will always be scary to challenge authority, but that's why the kindness is so important in order to establish that psychological safety needed to make searching for the truth possible. So what is truth-seeking or what, what's your definition of what truth-seeking is? To me, it's about, or at least for me personally, it's trying to be like a boy, kind of like a little boy with an empty mind, asking why and trying to listen as deeply as I can and try to not come with the full mind of an adult expert that knows the answer already. Hey everyone, just a quick pause on today's episode to tell you about a new feature that I am so excited about. We've been working on this one for quite a while and excited to announce it to the world. We're calling it Meeting Guidelines. So there's all these things that people already know they should do when they organize a meeting. So for example, you should make sure that you shouldn't invite too many people. Or if you're booking a recurring meeting, you probably wanna put an end date on that meeting. Or if you're going to invite someone to a meeting, you should probably, you know, if they have more than 20 hours of meetings that week, maybe be a little bit more considerate and ask, should I really invite that person to the meeting? So there's a bunch of these sorts of things that, you know, you might even know about, but what happens somehow in larger organizations is that people forget all of these things. And so that's why we've built this feature called Meeting Guidelines. It's super easy to use. It's a Google Chrome extension. So if you install it, what will happen is it will integrate with your Google Calendar. And that way, whenever anyone within your company is about to book a meeting, these meeting guidelines will show up and make sure that people know and take a second look at that meeting that they're about to book and make sure that it adheres to these guidelines. So if you want to book or within your company have a no meeting day, or if you wanna make sure that every meeting has an agenda in advance before it's booked. So all the different sorts of guidelines that you may want, and they're all obviously highly configurable because every company is gonna be slightly different, but this is the first time that there is a way that you can get an entire organization to change their meeting behavior it's something that we've been working on for a very long time. Super proud to announce it to the world. It's called Meeting Guidelines. If you're interested in checking it out, would love for you to do that and give us feedback. You can get to it by going to fellow.app slash guidelines. Again, that's fellow.app slash guidelines. Check it out and let me know what you think. I see how these two are, are very related then. So it's almost like a value around curiosity. But if you don't have kindness with that curiosity, it can come across as like you're being aggressive, like you said. And it's, you know, tell me the answer to this. And why is this like this? And but if you approach everything from a curiosity and from a place of kindness and just wanting to know, then that can be a completely different environment. And I did want to also call out in the beginning when you were describing Superside, the company, one of the things that you mentioned a lot was being that friendly company, right? That company that really seems like the partner to the customers. And so it's really interesting to see that also in your own values as well. So when kindness is something that's just a value amongst the employees, then naturally some of this is going to rub off on the customers. And it's like the same sort of principle that that is, is mimicked there as well. 
Let's also talk about, you know, from a hiring perspective. So I am curious, you and I were chatting about how all of these values are, are also things that you promote people on. It's stuff that you hire based on those sorts of things. How do you test for some of these things? Like, how do you test for kindness or truth seeking in an interview process? It's something that I think that I have gotten quite good at after having done hundreds of interviews or thousands of interviews, I don't know, over the last eight years, but I don't exactly know how to do it. I don't have a standard interview script or like I ask this five questions or whatever, like every interview for me is like initially about establishing some shared chemistry. And I just find it very hard to have chemistry with people where values aren't aligned. Like there's something that just, I guess, smells bad or you obviously can't smell on video, but you kind of pick up something. And, and every time I've had a bad gut feel on the chemistry, on it's turned out to be some like value disalignment. And it's not necessarily that the other person is like, I don't know, bad or something. Like maybe they just have different values about other things that they care about. And that's totally fine. But there's something there. And, and I know you're not technically supposed to listen to your gut or think so much about chemistry. But I think for me, in, in the first few conversations, that's really what I'm trying to get at. And then we do later on much more structured into your process. But I mean, I do ask questions, just open questions around, just ask what you care about and which questions would you ask people that you're hiring and but generally trying to have these open-ended questions. Yeah. And I think you can tell a lot about the questions that people ask. You can get a sense of, are they just asking a question because they need to check the box because they know in an interview process, they're going to be asked to ask some questions or are they really curious and like leaning in and you can kind of feel those things. And I do agree with you that you don't necessarily need to directly ask Tell me a time where you were kind to someone within your organization, right? A lot of these things can definitely come out in the process as you're hearing the answers to other questions or basically evaluating how they're asking questions or how they're carrying themselves. I did want to also loop back to something that we started talking about. You were talking about your starting days in the world of politics, and you talked about how some people there may talk a lot and do less things. There's this really interesting quote. You had an interview on Anthro Life. And one of the things that you said, which I find very interesting, is that many managers overcomplicate things when most employees are already reasonably good at their jobs. There's a lot to unpack in that statement. So maybe we just start from what were you trying to communicate or what is the message at the heart of that statement? I think a lot of people have read something along the lines of the seven habits of highly effective people or something, where there's one value, which is proactiveness. I think being proactive is fine, but I think many managers feel that or have read that or something and feel that they need to bother their coworkers or their direct reports all the time with like new ideas, like whenever they have a new idea. And I have new ideas all the time and I do definitely bother my direct reports. I'm sure if they ever listen to this, I'm sure they will be appalled by the incongruency. But I definitely try to hold myself back. I definitely try to at least be 50% 
reactive because I know from my own time, just like sitting around waiting for a boss to like approve something or like respond to, you're just waiting for that one thumbs up to send the document to the client or whatever. And your boss is just like doing all this like proactive stuff or whatever, like sharing all their ideas or, or something. And so I try to clean my inbox 100% every day, my Slack backlog 100% every day. I try to sign all the stuff that I need to sign within a few hours. And I try to do those things before being proactive. And most people are really good at their job and, and mostly need support and backing. And I try to do that to the best of my ability. I'm not sure if that answered the question. I think what you're saying is you spend a lot of time almost like making sure that you're unblocking people, as in you trust that the things that they are doing are by and large correct. You know, maybe 20% of the time it might be different than what you would have done, but 80% of the time largely directionally correct. And so there's almost more value out of you unblocking and making sure that they can plow through and get their mission achieved versus like going in and almost meddling. And so it seems like you prioritize the unblocking before the meddling. And I think you're right that not everybody operates that way. And a lot of people prioritize the meddling instead of the unblocking. I think so. I think that's exactly right. And I mean, we have a value which is called decide locally, which tries to get at this, but also, and, and I'm a big believer in the decentralized organizations in general. And But for many cultures and for many people, it doesn't come naturally and so we will have um in a leadership meeting for example people asking like oh for you you know the sealers to weigh in and kind of do a vote or something or ask me for like a decision and and even though i might have spoken for like 30 minutes in that meeting and shared all kinds of opinions and that i have it's like that shouldn't matter like it, it shouldn't matter that frederick said or the ceo said that this and that about the topic at hand like the person that is closest to the problem should then just be like okay thank you everyone for your input i will now go back and make the actual decision by myself that i think is an ideal governance model and then c-level or whatever like ceo can resolve an issue if there's a deadlock or a disagreement but i think very rarely should anyone else than the person closest to the problem make the decision. I think that's a symptom that you're doing it wrong if the CEO is making too many decisions. That's an important one to underline too. So because I think what can happen is you can feel really good about yourself and that you're making all these decisions, look at how important you are. But in reality, if you are making a lot of decisions, like you said, you're probably just doing it wrong. So <laughs> you know, for anyone listening in. And I think it's also partly arrogance, right? And that arrogance just gets fueled every time your company becomes successful. You know, you, that arrogance gets fueled more and more and the CEO gets more and more excited to make more and more decisions. And I mean, it can go well. I mean, if you are just a hyper decision maker, I guess, like Elon or whatever, like maybe you can just have run three companies and make ton of decisions at, at all of those. But I think at least for me and for most managers, you just aren't smart enough to take all the or make a lot of right decisions every day. <laughs> at best you can make all good decisions every day. Yeah. And I think like the part that I want to highlight is that it's not that this is like a feel good thing in terms of necessarily doing this because it's for the good of 
the people on your team. It's not necessarily like it is good for your team, but it's not because of that. It's just like if you want an efficient organization, this is a way to build efficiency. You should be able to decide locally. It makes logical sense. Totally. Yeah, for sure. It's all about decision quality and decision speed is impossible to achieve without a decentralized uh, local decision making. So yeah, we're big believers in that. Yeah. So I know you guys care a lot about efficiency. I'd love to ask you about just getting very tactical, you know, CEO, 700 plus person company, growing very fast, changing industry. How many direct reports do you have? And what do your one-on-ones look like? Right now, our CMO left to join um, another company and we're looking for new CMOs. So if any CMOs out there, feel free to DM me. Uh, our former CMO has done a fantastic job and we're all excited about her new opportunity. But then personally managing the, the marketing team right now, which gives me another five direct reports in addition to my existing seven. So right now I have 12 direct reports, which is not great for my own personal lifestyle and not great for, I think, any of the direct reports. It's just very hard to manage, to do high quality management across that many people. But um, I think it's working okay. I think it's maybe a little bit different for people at like different... Some people I've worked with for six, seven years, I know really well. I talk to super often and it's useful just also for me to just spend some time talking about how we are are doing and then other one-on-ones is much more okay what are the big problems right now let's hack it out but i don't have any particular like formula for one-on-ones like occasionally we spend one hour just talking about one problem and trying to figure out how to solve that other times it's like eight admin things that needs to get knocked out and i heard it's kind of like that you know it is organic or it is a little bit complex it's hard to find a specific formula i think i think the parts that i would highlight there are it is different on a person by person basis i think when you're starting out one of the things that you're looking for is like you said a formula right just three bullet points or three questions that you can ask and you're going to do that for every single person, but it is different. And it's also interesting that you pointed out that it also gets different if you've been working with someone for six or seven years, that's going to look different than you know someone that you just started working with. And so I think the nuance is important. It doesn't change like the concept of the meeting, which is it's about alignment. It's about exchanging feedback on things that are happening. Like those don't change, but the format changes, maybe the frequency changes, the length of the meeting changes based on you know a number of different factors. And also timing. Sometimes you have 12 and sometimes you have seven direct reports and that definitely adds to the mix as well. You know, a fun fact, just very random. I also have the exact same situation where ah, no way. <laughs> on a oh, temporary basis, yeah, my marketing team is also reporting to me directly. So that just, yeah, that happens to be something that you and I both share right now. So that's really interesting. I did want to also ask you about your staff meeting. So this is kind of like all the people on your executive team. What is a super effective staff meeting from your perspective or executive meeting? Mm, Yeah, we haven't found out and we've tried for eight years. Um, We didn't do a leadership meeting or a staff meeting for many years because we found those meetings to be 
highly ineffective meetings. We found that most decisions could be made locally or by a small group of people much quicker by just jumping on a call and didn't feel necessary to wait one week for a big leadership meeting. Now that we've reached a little bit of a bigger size, we've tried again and it's starting to work quite well. Still not entirely happy with the structure, but it's starting to work quite well. We have, I guess, nine people or so in our leadership team. We tackle one or two topics each time, usually two topics where someone in the organization, either part of the leadership team or outside, prepares a topic. And that could be, for example, pricing, like we're working on updated pricing structure, new subscription plan, and then all working group working on that. And they kind of present their project halfway through and get feedback from the leadership meeting. And, and it's a useful way to check in on, on these projects and provide feedback and provide in a way, artificial deadlines to ensure the project gets moved forward. But with the pricing topic, for example, like I find it much more powerful for me to just spend one hour alone with the guy that runs the pricing project and just problem solve much more freely with him rather than this, I don't know, somewhat anxious, big meeting context. So I don't know, I haven't found a good formula. Maybe I need to listen to your podcast and get some advice from other people on on how to do it. I think the parts that I'm going to highlight is that what's interesting is you said that in the early days, you didn't really have that meeting all that often. And you found that it wasn't necessarily super effective for your working style. The reason I want to emphasize that is that there is no one right way to do these things. And so you built a successful company and that way of working worked for the people that you had on your team. And so now, obviously, you're constantly iterating, even as the company's getting bigger, you're iterating with new approaches and you find something that works well and that works well until the dynamic changes. Maybe there's like new people on the team, maybe it's a new era. And so I think I want to highlight the facts that all these things are changing over the course of time. And I think that that in itself is super interesting. So, Frederick, we've talked about a lot of different topics. We talked about some of the early days and early mistakes before building the company, we talked about speed is safety, kindness and truth-seeking, how to hire. We talked about one-on-ones and staff meetings. Very insightful conversation. The question that we always like to end on is for all the managers and leaders constantly looking to get better at their craft, are there any final tips, tricks, or parting words of wisdom that you would have for them? It's like all these things in life, all the things that are good, that are good in life, you know, like uh, inner peace or happiness or something. If you try very hard to find it, it will just disappear. You know, you try to grab it and it will just disappear. And if you try too hard it, you won't reach it. And and I think it's the same with like these things like management and leadership. You think there is some formula, you think you can read all the business books and listen to all the podcasts and just adopt all of the best practices from but it's not uh, like that. The world is complicated. And, and yeah, of course you can read a little bit like that, but you should also read other things, whatever, and take inspiration from your friends and from elsewhere. And I think trying too hard is probably not the right answer. I think um, at least all the 
people that I've seen that kind of burn or get like really challenging situation at work is because they're not allowed to or they're not allowing themselves to kind of be themselves and trust their own instincts and their own intuitions. And so kind of always feel that you have to fake it or always feel that you have to figure out some new system to actually get things done. So yeah, that's my long and convoluted uh, piece of advice, I guess, to trust yourself a little bit. I remember we got a couple of kids two years ago and the best advice I got from my good friend was to not listen to any advice. And it doesn't mean to like ignore uh, advice out there, but it just means to find your own, I guess, and, and listen to your own voices and also to try to have a good time. I think if you're just trying to have a good time, it's very likely that you'll be successful. If you're able to just have a good time for you know, 10 plus hours every day for 10 years, it's quite likely that it's going to be a productive company. So yeah, that's it for me. That's great advice and a great place. And Frederick, thanks so much for doing this. For sure. Thank you for having me. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app slash supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.